This is Season 3 of Views of the Bridge, a podcast about your Philadelphia Union. We're part of the Beautiful Game Network. You can find all things BGN at BGN.FM. Let's get right to it. Looks like he's lining up for a shot. Jacob Glesnes is going for it. Is. Oh, my oh. God! Gattis, Ray with options, will cross us in, and it's back home by Casper Shabengo. What a slide tackle by Jack Elliott. Back to that shutout for Andre Blake. Fontana will give it a strike. Anthony Fontana has the go-ahead goal! One of the best teams across the league. But my word, Jim Curtin has pushed all the right buttons in 2020. And nobody will be able to take away the trophy from Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union. This is the five for five city. Put some respect on our name. Let's go, dude. Good things happen in Philadelphia. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Views from the Bridge, your second favorite Philadelphia Union podcast. I am uh, your host, mathematically not the most of the time. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> Uh, which is fine. Uh, Evan, Evan is Evan is out tonight, so I'm Justin, and I'm here hosting the show. We're sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Nickers FC, part of the Beautiful Game Network. You guys know all that, but I feel like I need to say it sometimes. All that kind of stuff. I'm I'm joined by a not normal cast of crew, but I'll introduce my normal cast first. Uh, Paul Catrino is here with us tonight. How you doing, Paul? Oh, just as good as I was the week before. You know, hanging in there. Uh... <laughs> Uh, I am officially a stock man now. I've been in the game for about two days, and I got to say, I still don't know what I'm doing. So, you know, just really good stuff going on. Um, cool. Yeah. Good. good. <laughs> uh, Chuck Booth is also here with us tonight. Chuck, how are you? I am here, and I'm enjoying that I'm being introduced without being beaten down in my introduction. That's um, <laughs> pretty nice for a change. It... uh. <laughs> I tried to add a second question too, so you knew when to jump in this time, rather than just being <laughs> like Chuck Booth. Yep, I'm I'm here, and I hate audits. Yes, audits are no fun. And uh, last but certainly not least, our special guest for this evening, Zach Pfeffer, is here with us. Zach, how are you? Good, good. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you here. We thought um, just in the, I guess, the course of this season with the union uh there's been a lot of talk around homegrown players and obviously you have a big part to play in that so we thought we'll we'll uh we'll have you on and and kind of get your thoughts on what's happening with the team currently but then see what you've been up to and all that kind of stuff so thanks for thanks for being with us and i guess we'll start here um with you but like tell us about i mean i guess you know, you're homegrown, so you're local. Um, what does that mean growing up in Philly and, and near Philly with going, uh, you know, Upper Dublin and uh, Montgomery County? What does that look like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, I grew up in Upper Dublin, as you said, kind of lived there most of my childhood and really kind of had a, a normal childhood in Upper Dublin, went to, went to school there um, and kind of grew up as, as a normal kid playing a variety of, of different sports and uh, went to my high school dances and did all those normal things. And uh, ultimately, when I was younger, you know, I, I played whether it was soccer, basketball, baseball, tennis. I kind of played uh, every every sport and grew up with my twin brother. We were very close, did everything together, played the same sports, had the same friends, went to the same places. And then ultimately, soccer kind of ended up being that, that sport that we gravitated towards the most, the one that we enjoyed the most. 
And, uh, you know, as I entered kind of my early teens, got into, into middle school, high school, I kind of saw that there was, there was an opportunity and I was pretty good at, at uh, the game and, and I loved it. And I saw there was an opportunity to, to move forward and, and hire and continue to work. I was, I was kind of that, that kid in middle school and high school that I would take a ball with me every day to school. I'd have it in my locker and I would take it out when I went to lunch and I'd scarf down my sandwich as quickly as possible so that I could maximize the time that I had out in the playground. And then when I got home, I dropped my bag in the kitchen after getting off the bus, went out in the backyard, played another three or four hours. So that was, that was me a little bit different, but, um, you know, otherwise grew up as, as a normal upper Dublin kid, normal childhood, and ultimately had a slightly different path, but, um, everything was, everything was great. Now you say you, uh, you saw an opportunity to move forward with soccer. Is that strictly because of what you saw with the Philadelphia union, like the structure they were building there with them trying to focus on building an academy and a foundation for kids to get in early and, you know, have a clear path to the pros as they sell it. Yeah. So really, I think it started before the union. So if I go earlier back in my career, I was involved in the Olympic development program, the ODP program, which obviously for those, whether you guys know it or for others listening, know about it, that was kind of the pathway to getting to the national team. There was really no full academy system in place. And so I don't remember what age, maybe 12 or 13, I started uh, trying out for the ODP squad. I made the state team. I made the regional team and worked my way up to the national team program. And once I made it to that level, I kind of got an indication that, okay, there's an opportunity here uh, to potentially take this further and, and realize my, my dream of playing professionally. Nice. Hey, so like, uh, I guess it was around like 2010 that you got signed by the union as the team's first homegrown. And, and I read this week, the fourth youngest ever to sign a homegrown contract. What was that like at, at 15, I guess would, would have been the age at the time, what was that like at 15 to, to be signing a, a homegrown contract with the union? Yeah, look, at first it was a dream come true. Growing up, that's that's all I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete, and I, I kind of had this this myopic view, this tunnel vision, and this focus, which obviously paid off at, at a young age, but it was a dream come true at first, and you know, I, I think if I look back, I have to first thank my parents and my brother who were immensely supportive every step along the way. But it was it was different. It was unique. And it's not the normal path that a young upper doubling kid would take. Normally, you you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college and you do normal things. But I, I always wanted to kind of forge a different path. And so I, I pursued soccer with a relentless passion and focus. And once I signed that contract, everything was a bit different. So I completed half of my high school online, half of it in the actual school so that I was able to graduate and walk with my class. And it was nice. I had this kind of good balance, I think, between being the professional athlete when I was at the stadium, when I was on the field, but then still being kind of the normal Zach Pfeffer high school kid when I was at school or when I was just with my friends at home. So I think that balance helped me a lot when I was, when I was younger and just starting. But even when I look back, I was 15, 16. I was a relatively small guy to begin with. I'm 5'8", but Back then I was maybe 130 pounds soaking wet, real skinny. And I, I laugh when I look back at pictures because I looked like I was 12 and I was thrust into this professional, this man's world at a young age. But ultimately it allowed me to grow, to mature, to become independent very quickly, which I think paid a lot of dividends for me just in my, in my life in general and where I'm at now. 
to be yeah. fair, to be absolutely fair, we still think Brendan Aronson's a child. I think he'll <laughs> remain that way for a very long time, especially here in Union fandom. Go ahead, Chuck. Sorry. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say when you when you talk about that that balance, because that's an extremely important thing when, especially when you're talking about signing as a homegrown at that young of an age. Was that something that specifically like the union helped you with, or was that something that more ended up needing to be pushed at home? I think it was a combination of both, but more pushed from home. And I come from background, I come from a very academically focused family. Everyone went to school, everyone's got higher education. And so it was at first, while my parents were extremely supportive, there was some hesitation at first saying, hey, should we let our son who's only 15 years old, essentially bypass a normal high school experience, potentially have a somewhat off or interesting kind of college experience, maybe not a normal college experience, and risk that maybe he doesn't get a degree. And so that was a thought, but we spoke about it and cooler heads prevailed. And we said, look, obviously academics is is at the forefront of, of kind of what we do. And um, I knew that I could go and I could pursue this dream and simultaneously still pursue my academic career. Uh, and so that was the decision we arrived at. And luckily it worked out well. I was able to do both and um, really just, again, thank kind of my parents and my brother for, for supporting me through that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You finished your classes online at Penn State while you were still playing, correct? Is that how you went about it? Yeah. So when I was in high school, again, I did both. I did online and uh, in class. And then when I graduated high school, I had a little pause in between because I was playing in Germany. And then I went right to taking online courses through Penn State's World Campus program. And I accumulated about two years worth of credits, which was phenomenal, saved me a bunch of time. Uh, it was a great program. And then ultimately after I retired, I went back to, to Temple University to finish off my degree. That's right, yeah. So tell us about that time in Germany. Like, I feel like, you know, foreign exchange students come here all the time and you were like the ultimate foreign exchange student like i'm gonna go play soccer <laughs> and uh you know i'm just gonna go to germany and do this what was that like yeah it was again it was an amazing experience and i think one that really again i was only 17 years old when i went there 17 18 years old so it was an experience that uh allowed me to grow up to become independent to become mature i think much more quickly than i otherwise would have and when i lived there i was i was on my own i, I had my own apartment uh, I was there with a, a very close friend of mine who we're still very close today, Russell Canals, who plays for DC United. We grew up. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we grew up playing together in the state team and he was on PA Classics. I was on Delco and other teams. We always played against each other. Uh, nice. But a, life, a lifelong friend of mine still to this day. But he was there actually before me in the academy. And so he helped get me adjusted and acclimated. But still, nonetheless, we were there by ourselves as 18 year old kids and I had to learn the language. I had to build a reputation for myself amongst my teammates because no matter what team I was coming from, despite the fact that I was already playing professionally, I still had to prove myself as, as an American going over to Europe. So it was challenging from that aspect and the club to kind of help with the whole transition. They enrolled me in a German language school. So I did, I did that Monday through Friday for four hours every day, just strictly learning the German language. And that helped just to, again, kind of befriend some of my teammates, understand what was going on, kind of just on the field and in my daily life. But overall, it was a great experience in terms of getting additional playing time, kind of just getting out of my comfort zone and ultimately just growing up as a, as a person and a player. 
Yeah, I feel like a move like that, especially at that young of an age, especially when you're carrying the weight of, you're our first homegrown talent, let's send you over to Europe and see how it goes. But you only get a year. It's like, you know, I, I think to it now, it's like, if you were to go back to Germany, would you have learned enough language in that year there that you would be like acclimated enough to be very comfortable with it? And it's, it's I can't even fathom it right now, especially back when MLS was what it was and we weren't used to seeing these young prospects go over and, you know, challenge for minutes in Europe. So it is really interesting because then you come back and it's like, you're here, you know, like that was it. You got, you got that time in Europe and now you're back in Philly and the club's a few years older and it's ready to start moving. Yeah, no. And look, I mean, I, I don't remember, at the time, if, if the, the kind of USL served as the reserve league or, or if the reserve league was still in place. But when I started, all we had was the reserve league. And so it was about 11 games a year, which as a young kid coming, coming through the academy, you need to play games and 11 games throughout the course of a year is not nearly enough. Absolutely. So again, I don't remember what it was exactly at that time, but after I think John Hackworth was the coach and we, we kind of had a talk and we said, look, this probably makes the most sense for you and your development to get game time and to just grow up, to get out of your comfort zone. I was from the Philadelphia area. I was a homegrown kid, had never really lived on my own. And so that was a great opportunity for me to do that. After kind of being with the union, you spent a couple of years. I mean, you played, moved to Colorado and then was on loan a couple of different times. We'll come, we'll come back to the union in one second, but how was that different? You know, playing in USL and obviously USL has grown in, in massive ways since, you know, that time, you know, four or five years ago, USL was a totally different league. But what was that like kind of playing in USL then, um, you know, on loan and, and different things like that? How was that um, in, in that part of your career? Yeah, I would say my, my initial response would be challenging from a variety of different perspectives. For one, obviously, I, I it came off just maybe even as a refresher, I came off what was the best year of my career in Philadelphia in, in 2015. And mm -hmm on the day of the draft for the 2016 season, I was expected I'd signed it or I'd gotten my option picked up or I'd signed my contract with the union for the following season. So I was mentally kind of focused and prepared on, on being a Philadelphia union player. And on the day of the draft got a totally unexpected call that I got traded. And within four, four or five days, I had my whole apartment packed up and I flew out to Denver. And so I went there kind of with the expectation that, I would be in the squad and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I should know this, but I think they gave up the, the first pick in the draft to, to bring me there. And so that for me was a pretty positive sign that, okay, you know, I'm at least in the plans and, and um, you know, hopefully from day one, I'll, I'll be on the field. And unfortunately that didn't uh, pan out that way. And so I had to get a little extra playing time uh, with Charlotte. I went to the switchbacks, uh, spent mm -hmm. some time between the two of those clubs and, I said challenging from the outset of my answer because mentally I wanted to be on the field in, in MLS. Uh, but obviously it's part of being a professional and knowing that a coach has, has one plan. And maybe if you're not in that plan at the moment, then you need to do what's best for you as a player and for your development. And so that was getting, getting game time. And it was a little challenging because I had gone from Philadelphia, flew out West to Denver, had to go back to Charlotte. So there was a, a bit of bouncing around like that, but Ultimately, uh, you know, it was, it was the right thing for my career in terms of just staying sharp and, and playing games. Yeah. Uh, 
Go ahead, Jahar. Um, yeah, like the st stability in that aspect is always so important in trying to build build a career, but especially with like that time in Colorado and bouncing around. But how is that like different than um, being in the union organization? Like, what are kind of some of the key things that you may have noticed to make the union the union? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll always have a special place in my heart for the union. It's the club that is in my hometown. It's the club that gave me my start as a professional. And uh, I had a, a very close relationship with many of the fans before I left. And so that's always going to be there. But I think what's really unique about the union, which you're seeing now, is just the whole focus and the commitment towards the academy system. Unfortunately, that whole infrastructure wasn't in place when I was there, but the idea was there. The money was being put towards building that. And obviously, you're, you're seeing uh, that come to life now. So I think that's really one of the biggest differences between the clubs is kind of this focus now on, on youth development, on kind of building that talent from within. But um, I, I think, look, at the same time, too, it's just it's different clubs, different cultures, different fan bases. Um, and those are, you know, maybe just some of the things that, that I would highlight. Yeah, I think kind of along those lines, like, I think, um, you know, you were obviously the first homegrown player. Now we're seeing guys like Derek Jones who are being traded for money around MLS. Matt Real seemed to find some success this year. And, and then obviously Brendan and Mark are headed over to Europe in, in you know, over the last month. What do you think, like, kind of what you're seeing? And obviously you said, like, it wasn't fully in place when you were there. But what 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 makes the union so successful? Or why have they been successful over the last four or five years as they've put those finances and in, in structure in place? What makes them successful in developing players? And I, and I read this week that, that you had played with, like, Derek and, and Mark McKenzie, um, you know, growing up. What was that like? And, and kind of what, what do you see in their success now? And, and what makes the union successful? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm not in the locker room, so I, I don't know kind of the secret sauce, but I think it's just a, they, they found a group of guys that really believes in what they're doing. And I think, you know, that comes from the top. Jim has obviously done a great job leading, leading the club. And so I think he had a, he has a group that, you know, believes in, in his vision, his strategy. And overall, look, it's, it's just a good group of players. It's a solid group of players from top to bottom. The starting 11 is very dynamic. And, uh, I think in terms of, of the young guys from Derek Jones, Mark McKenzie, Brendan, uh, I played a little bit. I was obviously a couple years older, but when I was already with the first team, Mark had come up to train with us. Derek had come up to train with us. Matt trained with us a little bit. And so seeing where those guys are now, it's, it's actually, it's very interesting for me because I use Mark, I think, as the main example. When you look at him now, He's, I mean, he's, he's grown up. He's a, a true professional, both physically. You can see how he handles himself off the field. And when he trained with us, he was always a great kid, but he was, he was a kid. He was young. He was a little bit thinner. He was not near, nearly as big as he is now from a physical perspective. Um, so I think just seeing his development is pretty, pretty astonishing. I didn't know um, kind of what Brendan Aronson was uh, going through the Academy. Um, he had never trained with us, but uh, seeing some of the guys do well and be successful, obviously, is great. Um, you know, it's nice to see that pipeline, not just for the union, but I think just seeing across the league, you're, you're seeing a lot of homegrown talent really coming through, making their way, whether it's to Europe, to the national team, or just being uh, major cogs in the first team for, for their respective clubs. That's great. So uh, here's, here's the thing for me, Zach. 
I remember when the news came out that you said you were stepping away from the game. And I think a lot of the knee-jerk reaction from that came to a head of, well, he's not getting minutes. Well, you know, he's not an MLS. Well, you know, this kind of thing. And it was refreshing to see that your reasoning for this was that you wanted to just expand your horizon. Like you, you saw that there was a life outside of professional soccer that you wanted to pursue, but obviously that's a tough decision. Like, especially when you've, you know, you've scored goals at Subaru park, but it wasn't called that back then. Like, and you've heard those fans go crazy and your name is echoing through stadiums. What was like the, what was the ultimate, just, you know what, this is what I want to do at that point in your career that made you go. Yeah. I I think there's something else here. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a longer answer. And I think it really goes back to this whole theme of when I was younger, it was again, this, this myopic vision of the world. It was, it was the four white lines and stepping in and playing. And then as I just grew up, I, I got to live on my own in Germany. I bought my own apartment and, and lived in, in Maniunk in Philadelphia. And I just, I became more independent. I saw more of the world. And I think that's just natural in anyone's life. But I, I got other interests. Um, I developed other interests. And one of those was, of course, finance and business. And that really stemmed from being a 15, 16-year-old kid, still living at home, but being paid a professional salary. And I had no expenses, so I invested all of my money at the advice of my parents. And I had, as such, a vested interest to see my money grow. And so I just, I I grew this underlying passion for for the markets, for stocks, for investing. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And then, as I mentioned, again, I, I come from a very academically focused family. And so I was always inclined academically. I maybe wasn't as focused on the business world when I was younger because it was always soccer. But then I just expanded my horizons. And then ultimately, I developed an idea that when I stopped playing, if it was when I did retire, if it was five years later, 10 years later, later, I knew I wanted to go in, into the finance world. And, and that, I say, as the finance world at large, I still didn't know really kind of where specifically. But then once I went to, to Temple, after I did retire, I obviously was able to get more involved and I led a couple of our finance organizations and I was just able to get a deeper understanding of really what was out there in the industry. Uh, And ultimately kind of from there, just kept pushing and used every ounce of effort and energy that I put towards soccer into the next phase of my life, which is the the person that I consider myself to be. And so one, one door, I don't want to say closed, but I decided to hang up the boots and, and call it uh, on the playing career. And then kind of had this whole brand new big opportunity in front of me that I wanted to fully attack. Yeah, it's like it's really interesting because, you know, you don't get to get into those experiences if you're not if your heart's not totally in it and you can put all your eggs into that basket, because I can't imagine it's very easy to just get a job in finance. You know, like I remember it makes my head spin. It's like I hear trading and I was like, I have trading experience, but it's like Pokemon cards when I was a kid, you know, like you actually when you get thrown in that experience of being a young kid and having to distribute your finances properly, you don't really get a second chance at that because you're only a professional for six years of your career. And now you have this opportunity to learn what could I have done differently with it? What did I do absolutely right about it? And 
now you get those years of school. Uh, I heard you actually, uh, you were staying on top of your playing at Temple. You were like jumping in scrimmages and kicking people's butts because you're still like, obviously, <laughs> you know, the man to an extent. But I just think, I think it's really cool because it's definitely not, an, I don't think it would be an easy decision for me to make if I got to the point that you were at where you're a professional soccer player and it's like, no, I just got to keep grinding. I got to keep going and going and going and eventually I'll get there. You at least have the vision of, I know that I can do something else and it's something that I'm equally passionate about, if not maybe more. And you went out and did it. And now you work for a huge private equity firm and I'm going to pretend I know what that is. If you wanted to explain it to me, like I'm five years old. By all means. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look to, to your, what you were saying before too. You know, I would just say that I think it does help that I had this huge underlying bubbling passion for finance, and so it's made the whole transition easier. Again, it's not something I was forced to do. I had a long, hard think about you know where did I want kind of my career to go? Did I want to stay in the game? Did I want to leave? And I can I confided with the people who were closest to me, my parents, my brother other friends. And, and ultimately I said, look, this is the decision that I want to make. No one, no one forced me to do it. I could have gone on trial. I had a couple other MLS clubs that offered me a chance to come in at least for preseason on trial and some other USL clubs. But I said, look, I've lived out this dream, the stream that I worked so hard for. I've had a, an unbelievably unique path and a set of experiences that I'll keep with me for the rest of my life. I have amazing relationships. I've traveled the world, things that most people don't do in a lifetime. And so now I can take all that I have that I learned and I can put it to this next, next chapter, next phase of my life. And so that's, that's what I did. And, and it's been great. And I haven't regretted a moment since. And then to your next point in terms of kind of where I'm at now in the private equity space, after I graduated Temple, I started at Goldman Sachs in New York. I was in the investment banking division covering global industrial companies. And for those who aren't familiar with the investment banking world, it's essentially helping companies through mergers, through acquisitions, i.e. deals when one company buys another or when a company is looking to sell, uh, helping companies raise capital, whether that's equity or, or debt. And so that's what I did um, at first and then ultimately made the jump into, into private equity with a firm called Bright Star Capital Partners, which is where I'm at now. And uh, it's, been, it's been a great experience. It's an unbelievable firm and um, so far so good. So hopefully the, the good times continue. I think what's interesting about your story versus versus others and it's been interesting even the people that you know the players that we've interviewed over the course of last year uh, and uh, just thinking back like we interviewed Ray Gaddis and obviously he went to WVU for four years and did the whole college experience we interviewed Mark McKenzie who obviously went to Wake Forest for a year and then left Wake Forest to play professionally and Obviously, you kind of did it the opposite way. You went and played professional soccer and then now and, and like went back to college. And I think it's interesting because I think when you talk about YSC and the academy and all this kind of stuff, you everyone's got to make their own decision when it comes to college and, and what they're going to do and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there, there are kids from the academy who are choosing to play college soccer and then try to make it professionally. There are kids now who are, you know, signing those deals at 15, 16 years old and trying to make it then too. So any thoughts on just like the difference between like, you know, going to college, not going to college, doing it professionally, you know, just even through your experience of that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would start by answering, you know, I've, I've gone back to the Union Academy once or twice to, to speak to the kids at the school. And the message I gave them was, look, 
all of you have a great talent. You're here at the Union Academy for a reason and you're in a great environment and hopefully all of you achieve the goal of becoming a professional soccer player. But the reality is, and, and these kids were, you know, I guess eight years old up to 18. And so they're at various levels of maturity, but I think it's important regardless of what age to understand that maybe it's not going to happen. Hopefully it does. And you should devote every ounce of energy you have to becoming a professional soccer player, if that's what your dream is, but just know that you might want to have a plan B, right? A plan C. And that's always what I was taught when I was, when I was growing up too, uh, even before I, I became a professional athlete. And that plan B was do well in school and, and make sure you focus on your academics. And that's kind of the message that I, I tried to give all, all those kids without by any means, not trying to uh, make anyone feel less positive about a potential professional career. Cause it's a great career. If that's what you love to do, you need to pursue it 100%. But just know that you could get injured. It might not be that you're not good enough. Maybe you get injured. Some freak accident happens. And so you just want to be prepared. Um, but in terms of the, the whole college versus not college route, again, it, it really depends. It's situation dependent, person dependent. And I say that because if you're a, a young kid who's maybe physically uh, underdeveloped or maybe mentally you're, you're not quite there from a maturity standpoint, then college probably will suit you well. You know, you can go, you're going to be away from home, live on your own. You'll grow up a little bit. But then on the contrary, if you're just an unbelievable athlete, you're clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the group. It probably makes sense for you to bypass college soccer and go directly to, to playing professionally. And now you're seeing that more and more with the academy system where kids will bypass playing in school. They'll go directly into the professional ranks. And honestly, I think for us as a, as, as a sports, a soccer nation, in order to get to where we want to in terms of competing and being on par with the rest of the world, your players have to start playing professionally at a younger age like they do in Europe. At 16, 17 is completely the norm for kids that go and play in the Bundesliga and the Premier League. So um, I think, again, it's, it's really kids situation dependent, but I would just say to, to all the kids who are going, have that plan B, but devote every ounce of energy to to you know accomplishing that dream yeah i'm i'm uh i'm not sure if you were there uh back when ysc opened with dr nahad and they were showing everyone around and whatnot it's just they really have fostered that environment there that you could see it's what they wanted to do but now that it's implemented these kids really do get the chance to be super well-rounded in their studies and the game and like you know tailoring a schedule to what they need and you know, obviously the focus is you better do good in these classes because then it directly affects how you're going to produce on the field. Like yep. it's, it's nice to see for sure. And you being the OG homegrown of the union thing, you definitely can't get lost in the weeds there because it seems like we're going to be seeing a lot more of these kids uh, getting some spotlight on them and making either moves within the league and helping grow the league as a whole, or just increasing the brand profile across overseas. But it's definitely great. Uh, like I said, this, it was such a weird time for me when I was like, why is Zach Pfeffer retiring? And then like over the course of just life, it's like, that was such an adult decision and just like a very great move on your part that you clearly like made in full stride and have no regrets about. And it's just awesome to hear that you're doing great. Man. Thank Good you. No, sure. I, no, I appreciate that. I, I really do. And uh, again, as, as I mentioned, I, I've enjoyed 
every second of, of what I'm doing now. Love the playing career. But and actually, now that I think about it, I didn't even answer your, I guess, Paul, your initial question on kind of what is is the private equity world. Maybe I'll answer that for two seconds. But please, please give me a lesson. Dumb it down. Yeah, everyone thinks finance. They think you're you're trading stocks all day long, and and that's obviously one very small part of it. But in the private equity world, it's it's the private market. So at a very high level, you know, you can think of a firm. I'm at Chrysler Capital Partners. You raise a fund, a pool of capital from outside investors. It can be high net worth individuals, be endowments, pension funds, et cetera. And you ultimately take this pool of capital and you look to acquire companies. It could be a public company. It could be a private company, depending on the size of the firm, the strategy, et cetera. And ultimately you, you work with these companies to implement a value creation plan, build up the company over three, five, seven years, and then ultimately sell the company to hopefully realize a gain for the firm and for its investors. So that at its core is what private equity is. That's what I'm doing. Uh, obviously there's much, much more to it. And it's a very dynamic and exciting industry, but um, just to answer your question simply, that's kind of private equity in a nutshell. So. I would be disappointed if there wasn't more to it. So you're a much stronger man than I am for sure. Yeah. Uh, if I ever start up my greeting card company, I'll uh, reach out to you, see if you know I can join the team, but. No, that's, that's super cool, man. Honestly, this really is for sure. Um, yeah, st sticking with that, there's been like some major changes within just the market and everything in general with obviously COVID-19, the presidential shift, um, social media's influence over the market as a whole. Um, what would like, what would you make of the state of the market right now? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the one word answer would be it's it's pretty dynamic right now, right? There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on. Uh, obviously, it's it's funny because I'm getting texts from friends who know really nothing about finance, really haven't. That's not their core expertise. They're maybe an engineer and consulting, whatever. And everyone knows what's going on right now, whether it's with GameStop and AMC and all these different different stocks. And so, it's. For a lot of people, it's difficult to understand, you know, what's going on. And um, when you look at it and you look at past market cycles, things like this, some people would allude to maybe a, a sense of irrational exuberance or what could this mean? Does it mean we're at a peak? I don't know. No one knows. But um, mm -hmm. seeing what's going on now, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's a little alarming, um, I think, to, to many people. At the end of the day, you don't want anyone to, to do something that they don't really know much about or, or get into any trouble. But um, I, my hope is I'm, I'm more of an optimist. You know, I, I think we're, we're slowly getting there each day, each week, each month in terms of vaccine distributions. And, and I know there's been some hiccups, but hopefully we, we kind of get to the other side here in the next couple of months and the economy starts to reopen. A lot of people who were, were furloughed or lost their jobs hopefully are, are going to come back into the workforce. Unfortunately, the reality is not everyone will. Um, but hopefully we kind of get to that point where everyone's vaccinated, you know, in the next couple of months, the economy starts to reopen, jobs start to come back, and and we kind of move to the other side. But I think what we're seeing now, it's just, again, it's, it's interesting times. There's a lot going on. And, um, you know, hopefully, basically in short, you know, just hopefully uh, kind of people prevail, cooler heads prevail, and we can kind of just continue moving in the right direction. So. Cool. Uh, a couple, couple just random uh, soccer questions to end our time. Um, 
Do you have a favorite like union memory for playing for the union? What's your favorite kind of memory for, for that time? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's an easy question. Yeah. I would go to my goal against DC United at home. Uh, I guess it was the 2015 season and under the lights against the rival and stoppage time scoring the game winning goal. So for me, I think that absolutely stands out as my most memorable and, and favorite uh, moment. Any current uh, players that you're enjoying watching? It doesn't have to be the union, but like any current players, teams you're enjoying watching? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, it's a bandwagon choice, but I've always loved watching Bayern Munich play. And I think just being in Germany as well, I got an appreciation for them because when I was there, they, they played against Hoffenheim. I was at the game and uh, it's just, it's unbelievable some of the talent that, that those players have and it's a joy to watch them play. Cool. Any other questions from you guys? I don't want to cut. I don't want to cut Chuck or Paul off here. Oh uh, no, I'll no, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll keep jumping to the stocks. I'm not good. <laughs> Can't even be bothered yeah, with Paul, it anymore. Paul signed a lot of social media. My, <laughs> if I open the Robinhood app one more time today, <laughs> no, no, I'm just uh, honestly, I appreciate. It. I we sit here on the show and we like to talk to everyone from the union world really. And, you know, to be able to talk to you, especially not, you know, having the full story of, you know, where you've been since then. It's awesome. Like it's awesome to just have this time and talk about it. And, you know, you dwell on those good union memories and you also get the scope that we exist in such a bigger world than just the soccer universe, that there are plenty of opportunities out there for people. Yep. No, absolutely. Like particularly now with everything going on with COVID, obviously it really does emphasize that, that there's more to, to life than soccer. And obviously at this point, everyone's kind of just focused on, on being healthy and uh, you know, hopefully you guys and your families are doing well, but you know, that's, that's the focus right now above anything else. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Zach. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Definitely, man. Pleasure. Good seeing you. You as well. Good one. Well, we super appreciated Zach joining us, but guys, any any kind of initial thoughts on on that? Um, I mean, for me, it was just re really interesting to listen to someone who's like had, I guess, like such a full journey because of starting with the union so young and being able to bounce around the world and now already moving into a completely different career while still being really young and having so much time ahead of themselves. Like few people can talk from such a perspective of seeing so much. And it's just interesting. Cause like, it, I definitely feel like when you look at the careers of professional athletes, it's like embedded in them that it's, it's this way. And then, I'm done. Like I, I got to push to the end and give everything that I have. And you got to have a long career so that you can, you know, really validate your career. Like you have more experiences and things to like bounce off of, but to have the maturity and the sense of mind to be like, I could be happier doing something else. I could feel more fulfilled if I was doing something else. So I'm going to do something else like too many people. Like he said, it's tunnel vision. Sometimes you get in this mindset and you get stuck there, but to have that 
ability to reassess and evaluate what's best for you. It's awesome. And it's awesome to hear that Zach Pfeffer, the original union homegrown, the, uh, an academy that's pumping out so much soccer talent that you almost forget that not every kid makes it to the first team. There are a lot of other kids in the union academy that end up just having to go to college because they didn't get a two, like a homegrown contract or some of them end up getting signed by another team and it lasts a few years. And now they live out West because that's just where they are. Like Zach shows that you can have a career and be remembered in a professional soccer league in a, in a team's lore across their history. But you can also have a life outside of that and make a very good living for yourself. And you know, like he's still in his mid twenties, man. This is only the beginning for him. You can be running the stock market in twenty years. I mean, who the hell knows? Like, I just think it's very cool that the original Union homegrown is a two way guy. He's got soccer figured out. He's got life figured out. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting too because I think there's, if I'm correct, I think there's a page actually on the Union website where you can look at like where academy kids are now. And it like, it is really interesting, like looking through that list. Cause a lot of them are like, you know, they're, they're successful college soccer players. They're around the USL, they're around MLS, they're even around the world in some instances. And, and so I think it's like, it is interesting to think like, yeah, the only, it's not that the only path to path to the pros, <laughs> you know, through the <laughs> union Academy is, is through the Philadelphia union first team. It's not, you know, you can, you can do it in a whole lot of other ways and you can get there in a whole lot of other ways. And then, um, you know, depending how you did it, depending how you want to do it, you, you can step away and you can say like, Hey, I, I did this thing. And that's what I loved about Saxon. It, like, it's like, I did this thing, I accomplished my dream, and now I want to do this other thing because it's an interest of mine too. And I think like that is the, what's interesting about that is I think that's the reality for most of us. You know, like that's the reality for most humans is you go to college for something, you get a job for it, you come out, you do it for a couple of years and then you do something else and then you do something else and you kind of bounce around and you just do a bunch of different things over the course of your lifetime. And I think like a lot of athletes we see, they, they become an athlete and then they become a professional athlete and then they coach that sport and then they might go into the front office where they might go into announcing or they, you know, like all this different stuff. There's some paths there, but their whole life is that sport where I think it's like, it is, it is cool to know that like as an athlete, you can, you can step away and like do something else if you want to do something else. So, um, and we're seeing that more and more. I think there's a whole lot of athletes you know, that you can kind of name off the top of your head, even that have kind of stepped away from sport over the last couple of years um, for, for a variety of reasons. But I think it's been, you know, it's interesting to see and it's cool to hear from Zach too. I've never actually looked at this Union Academy Homegrowns page before. It's quite interesting. Quite thorough. Very thorough. Oh, yeah, Very man. Because sure. they care. Like they care. It's almost... It's almost as if the union have realized that it's not path to the pros anymore. You're now directly involved in the rest of this kid's developmental life, whether it's academically, socially, Mm -hmm. physically, like these kids, they're in it. Like they're, they're involved in union, you know, functions five, six days a week. 
-hmm. So it's like you now have that responsibility of convincing a parent that you're not, your son's not just another body for us to throw on the field and get slide tackled with death. Like, no, we want to teach your kid math, science, history. You know, we want to be sure that they're ready to handle the world when they're going to be on their own. Because as Union Academy talents have shown you, you could get sent to Germany as a teenager. (laughs) And like, (laughs) what do you do from there? We're looking at Brendan Aronson right now. I just spoke with his father last week. He's just out there. Like his mom and dad isn't out there. Paxton's not there out there with him. He's just out there. He's been living in his Medford house since he was a child. Like you look at stuff like that and you have to be prepared for life outside of just, well, I guess I'll be able to pay my bills this week. Cause I know how to kick a ball. Yeah. And I mean, like, no, <laughs> you need to, <laughs> you need to know how to live, man. And you assume too, that like um, the discussion and reservations that Zach Pfeffer's um, parents had would have been very different at the time if YC was a fully realized um, yeah. standing thing as opposed to, well, we want to do this thing that sounds I know really far-fetched and really expensive, but like, and now we're looking at, nope, it's here and functioning. Like, it's just so impressive to look back at where things were and where they are. I had reservations about asking. I was like, if you had come up in this academy structure, like how would things be different? Because I think it would have affected his parents' rationale very differently. And definitely Zach's because, you know, it wasn't just pick. Now it's not pick one or the other. It's, we got it. We got your kid. Come here, live here, go to school, um, play a whole bunch of soccer, still get that U.S. um, Youth National Team exposure potentially get loans and moves elsewhere and it's like and if we loan the kid you get money (laughs) it's like how super is that more investing yeah right stonks baby Mm. (laughs) well guys i think we have two uh we got uh i guess there's two two streams of news coming from the league this week uh one (sighs) we have a start date and two uh, we have a work stoppage coming. I don't yeah, know. So we have, we have a date that it's supposed to start, and then we have this date might not mean shit in twenty four. We, we have the league posturing on social media, basically making it seem like the players aren't trying to accept any of their demands. The players are trying to beat in the middle, and uh, now the league's throwing out. A, a delayed start date at least but a start date so that they can say well if you don't agree by friday we can start docking your salaries it's like yeah man oh man this it's, is bessie it is not we, a good it's it's clearly not a good look right and and this is what's so frustrating it's like the the game in america is trying to grow we're trying to do the right thing academies are starting you know, players like Brendan and Mark, you know, and a host of others have moved to Europe over the last, you know, year and a half or so. And it seems like it seems like we're starting to see U.S. soccer in some ways in shapes and forms like turn around and like get from a place of a couple of years ago, not qualifying for the World Cup to having a place where you can look at Barcelona, you can look at Juventus, you can look, uh, you know, to other teams in Europe and see Americans playing and featuring on those teams 
And I think, and then you have MLS like fighting their own players at home. And it's just like, how are we supposed to grow the game? How are, yeah, how right? are we supposed it's to like, do this? You know, why must it be so hard? Because you know that MLS only succeeds if it's popular, it doesn't have to be exorbitant and wealthy, it needs to be popular. Yeah. That's how you that's and, how you bring in that revenue. That's how you think long term. And nothing is popular about a civil war between eggheads in suits and Alejandro Bedoya on Twitter throwing shade at the league that very much supplements his existence in Philadelphia right now. Like this is nuts, man. This is well, just bonkers. And you can't be player if you're not you can't be popular if you're not playing. And, yeah, yeah. And it, but also it's like with the amount of eyes on MLS from overseas and the amount of players who have already been sold and will be sold um, over the course of this winter, like you would think the league would be chopping at the bit to get on the field more so that they could have bigger sales in the summer and line their pockets. Like yeah. not no, playing doesn't, sense. I mean, but like I understand that ownership of teams in the league think that like docking salaries and whatnot will end up like helping the bottom line in their pockets. But the most lucrative thing that you can do is play your players and sell them for exorbitant fees. Yeah. And I think the other thing for me is like the trend, like one of the trends we've seen in MLS over the last couple of years is young South American players using this sort of as their stepping stone to Europe. And I think if you're a Pity Martinez or whoever from Brazil, Portugal, or like not Portugal, but like Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, whatever, and you're looking at an MLS team saying, yeah, we want you to come play for us, but then they're going to turn right around and be like, actually, we're locking you out. <laughs> like, you're not going to come play at a, at a league that may or may not play on the field. Like, you might as well at that point go to – Denmark and and play on a field there that's actually being played on you know it's it's just I'm take some pretty pictures in a jersey we'll show you off for a few months and you'll never play again and then we'll just you'll go back to your club in a year yeah how does that sound jam <laughs> not great not sense. great not great but we do if, if if I'm I'm kind of into this calendar thing now of like there's certain dates on the calendar that I'm like okay, I can actually look forward to that now. You know, like April yeah, 3rd is at least a date on the calendar of like, okay, I have a little yes. hope for the next two months. They, they've they set a bar. Let's see if they meet it. Yeah. But you and, can still be excited. You can be excited. You're, you're not allowed to not be excited because you're not sure it's going to happen. The good news is that April 3rd and then what was it? April 16th for when Champions League was starting. Mm-hmm. um, Something like that it's at least far enough away from the February 22nd um, preseason training starting, which can at least kind of start virtually if things go south, that Mm. you can still reach close to full fitness by then. Yeah. Well, we all know how good the union are at doing virtual training camps and whatnot. They only want a supporter shield during COVID when they were forced to do everything (laughs) over Zoom. So you know, hey, I think the other this could be good. The the <laughs> other piece of this for me is, I think, the like 
the USL and the NWSL have both set start dates as well now. And if the MLS doesn't reach theirs, they're going to look pretty <laughs> like yeah. they're going to look pretty foolish. Yeah. They said like, you know, back in January they said April 3rd and now they're not starting until May 3rd or whatever it is, you know, it's like they're going to look pretty foolish on that end. So I think I I would hope that the as you said the eggheads and suits We'll come around and see like hey we're gonna look pretty bad at this point if the women are playing and the usl are playing and we're not so we should we should just go ahead and play for sure imagine this if you will it's a family sitting at a dinner table there's mom and dad and they're sitting there with their three kids nwsl just got into a bright university and things are looking up usl is a young kid in high school has picked up multiple activities and it's just trending upwards. And then MLS is the 37-year-old son that still lives at home. Is like, I've got a few things going. We'll see if they pan out. Um, my band got a new show. <laughs> <laughs> the Women's Correctional Facility. I'm getting paid $34 and a bucket of cream corn. That is a Drake I mean, and maybe, Josh reference, people. But maybe at that point, MLS will finally recognize um, USL players as real soccer players. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Did you hear that? USL got into Yale. Have you gotten into Yale? <laughs> uh, any other things you guys want to talk about tonight? I don't want you know. You guys. Well, we at least. I mean, we at least have. We can't end on a work stoppage when. Yeah. We have um, homegrowns getting assists and also coming on to a team conceding two goals, only one of which necessarily was their fault, but at least playing. Yeah, absolutely. The the anomaly (laughs) that is, I am so furious that the people are like, why isn't Mark McKenzie starting every game? It's like, you can make an argument for that to an extent because his center back counterpart that he was supposed to be replacing has accumulated two red cards and a handball that led to an opposing goal in that time that he's been there. Yeah, what does it take to actually get a suspension in Belgium? Because that's something that I've still been yet to figure out. Okay. Because so I, Cuesta I should you. not actually be able to play, right? <laughs> I've got the rules up right here. I pulled it off of a website and it says, quote, you have to kill a man. So... We'll oh. see if that happens in the next. I mean, honestly, sounds about right at this point. I also am very happy that people have finally figured out that a squad list is not a lineup. Yes. Oh, thank you. I Gosh. despise it. Chuck, you have been a proponent of that for years now. It is infuriating. Let's just throw 11 names on a piece of paper and go, they're on the field. You you figure out where they play. <laughs> yeah, right. What do you think? That's the manager's job. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. I I tweeted that toward the end of last season. Just like I don't I don't understand why people do this. Like these, this is a good lineup when you at least at the very least take your list and split it up by space of which where people are playing, or just put a diagram out there. Like oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but so actually one, one interesting discussion that, um, we had in a group chat at one point is so for Brendan Aronson, 
and being with Red Bull. Is that league necessarily better than MLS? At the rate he's going right now, I think Brendan's going to be not. Hold, I think he's going to be gone in two years, and the fee is going to be upwards of thirty mil. Like I'm thinking, twenty-eight to thirty-two million is what he's going to fetch at this rate because the kid, like, they don't know how to defend shoulders back to you run like you know you got your back to a defender and like all brendan has to do is just faint one way and turn and he's in a wide open space now his passing hasn't been pristine but he's clearly at like a high level in that league and the thing with mls was clearly he was a player at a high level but the stats didn't do it for him that was that was the whole like why he's not a transcendental yeah, talent yeah, across yeah, the American landscape, you know, he's good, but like the numbers weren't there to supplement it. Brendan could absolutely get the numbers in Austria. And when they get the fancy title of being scored in a European league, people like that. So yeah. I, I don't know, man, like I, I would say right now, Brendan is not having a hard time at all like adjusting to what has to be done jesse marsh is clearly supporting him in anything he wants to do on that field the the team as a whole is uh also using him already as their poster boy at least at minimum for every english feed that they have so it's shout out to ftf man i I didn't even know that channel existed (laughs) it's it's really funny though because it's like they're like well, we know we have American fans watching him, so let's cater to them fully. Like, um, he's going to be the poster boy for our lineup announcements. He's going to be doing commentary on friendlies. He's going to just be doing random interviews and stuff. Like, we, y'all are going to watch this, and we're going to make money off of it, and we're eventually going to make money off of him. So, like, all of their chips are just in on Brendan Aronson, and, like, how can you not love that? Yeah, I think I think to answer your original question, Chuck, I don't I don't know that the play, I don't know that the play on the field is any better than MLS. There, what I do think is better yeah. is just the the notoriety and the the fact that yeah. you are, you know, German German scouts only have to you know jump on a train, and they're mm. they're in Austria and at the stadium, you know, in in a couple of hours. Where you know here they gotta fly over here and do that whole thing, and so I think it's like it's a big deal that he's there. Yeah, and and Brendan Aronson could do literally the exact same thing that he did in MLS and triple his stats because there's better players around him as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, if you have a striker who knows how to make a run, it's gonna <laughs> be great for Brendan. He's got a lot of help in Daka and Barisha, like even Koida in the midfield. Like, God, he's got such good talent around him now. And it's. Yeah, it's the difference of having to be the guy versus being a guy, you know, like, and not that yes, he's just yes. a guy at Red Bull, but like, I think it's it's one of those things where when, when he's at the union, like, hey, every center back in the league is going <laughs> to go. Punch and like, you in the face. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, you know, thinking back to the MLS's back final, if you've got Diego Chara just, like, sitting on your shoulder the entire game, you know, it's it's hard to play. But 
when yes. you have another runner coming off of that and you've got other people, you know, making runs and all that kind of stuff, like you are able to play better and look better on the field. And that's the thing I've seen a lot of in the Austrian league so far. There's a lot of stagnant defensive movement mm-hmm. where it's like they will hold the formation even if there's a passing buildup. And it's like Salzburg are just so much smarter than that. Like Jesse Marsh is like, keep moving. Don't yeah. stand still. Like if you're in a spot, just move to a different spot, even if it's just a few feet away to force that defender to have to move. Which because if like, he doesn't, you're going to get wide open. Which all of that is like Brendan's mojo too. Like, yeah. He doesn't like, stand don't stop still moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, still. it's nice to see him staying in an air. Like he's not being forced out to a side. He's yeah. like, you know, he's kind of free to operate there in the middle and it's really refreshing. Sure. Um, and I, I think in regards to like utilizing American players overseas, I think once Gank realizes what kind of personality they have in Mark McKenzie, you're going to start seeing a lot more of him, even if it's just as a club ambassador. Like, you know, at this point right now, this season, he doesn't have to start every game, but clearly he's one of the higher rated players on that team right now, like objectively right now he is. But if you need to acclimate him, you take that time and you don't rush the process. But I think with McKenzie, you're going to see, it's going to, it's going to take him a bit longer to get that next like big move that really benefits the union oh, with a sell on fee is also fine because of course McKenzie's yeah. already moved to a higher level than Aronson did by yes. going to Belgium. Yes. Um, but I do hope that sooner rather than later, Jenk puts something out in English because translating Belgium through um, Google Translate doesn't really work pick up duolingo and make your life easier yeah no that requires work on chuck's part yes i mean i can barely keep up with uh, the language that i at least have a passable knowledge in reading in spanish let alone Uh, i thought you were gonna say english (laughs) i would like to hope that i can communicate effectively in English at this point um but I mean it's it's hard enough to keep up with Spanish let alone try and pick up anything in another language I'm right there with you man like I you know I I feel like I've been taking Spanish lessons since I was 14 and even then I'm still like I couldn't tell you what anyone said I've literally no literally so I've been I, t- I took Spanish classes from kindergarten. Kindergarten. All- <laughs> yep, ki- kindergarten at my at um like my middle school. You had to take Spanish the in- entire time through, um from kindergarten through college. Wow. And I still, I can I can still only read it. Um say enough words for passable directions and to have a party (laughs) and watch a few select movies (laughs) um public school yep ah cool well i know the ten commandments so 
you know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Who's, I, well, actually, we did we did learn who's that the scholar now. We we did learn that our father in high school. Um, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're way off topic tonight, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, we had so much to talk about, though. I know, we we, we discussed it, and no, it's no. funny because we actually missed one breaking piece, which is the union teased a kit, maybe. And it's the old colors of the jerseys from like 2014. Yeah, like it's and there's a lightning a, bolt, maybe. The fact that they teased the kit by reverting the logo colors is quite odd. I mean, I I don't I didn't think they needed to change the logo in the first place. So I'm also not gonna complain if it involves going back to the actual logo colors. <laughs> Um, I would make an argument that the contrast is a bit better between the blue and gold in the new logo. I would say it's definitely much more distinctive because if you honestly, I've done the thing, you look at afar at both of them with the, you know, the darker gold in the older logo, it blends. So yeah, there's no distinction that you're looking at a union logo to an extent. So I understand why they did that. Now, if they're teasing this as a throwback Jersey, you know, where they're incorporating old designs in a much more streamlined, like, design, all for that. But if they're just going to rehash an old jersey, and instead of, like, it being a center stripe, it's just a lightning bolt, I don't know, man. Because this, this jersey has been teased for a very long time. With a lot of people on Twitter that had a say in what oh, designs so, yeah, needed so to the, be in the, this. Yeah, this is finally that one. I'm going to assume, yeah, because, you know, they, they changed the jersey once every other year. So last year they did the home jersey, which is new. So this year they have to do the away jersey, which is new. And this is absolutely the one that they were teasing. Guys, I hope all your hype was worth it. I really yeah. do. Because right now this is supposed to be, besides that Bethlehem black kit, the best jersey in Union history. <laughs> I have heard that numerous times that it's going to be the best one. Don't don't hype it up. Then you're just literally setting us up for a letdown. I didn't do this. I did I not know, do this. Many of other people did this before me. But you're parroting those people. Ah, uh, yes. I am just a fanner of flames. I'm Elon Musk telling you to go buy Doge dollars on on the stock exchange. But I'm just Jeez. saying. I, I hope it's good. I hope it's something that I look at and I don't even have to think twice about it. I'm just like, I'm gonna buy that for sure um let let, let's also end this um stock centric podcast with please invest responsibly yes because a lot of people did get caught up in not realizing what they were getting into in Mm -hmm. these past couple of days and unfortunately put money into apps that either locked them out until they lost money or just weren't able to make a heads or tails of what was going on and even if you don't necessarily have knowledge of the stock market i mean most people don't because it's an absolute mess to figure out and but there are very smart people on the internet who will help you if you search for them and even taking the two minutes to do that before buying something goes a long long way Mm -hmm. And 
And it's definitely something that's not like you should be doing this every morning and waiting for the right time through the day to pull out at a certain time. Like a lot of these things that people investing are long-term things, you know, like I I know I, I bought a share, a single share of AMC to see what would happen. Right. And right now I'm locked out of that share and I might lose whatever small amount of dollars that I put into it unless this class action lawsuit happens. That is fine, okay? But I know people who bought like 50 shares. Like some some people on Reddit bought like 500 shares. And now yep. they've basically just given their money to an institution that does not want that person to succeed. And it's like, it, 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 you do have to be super uber responsible about this because it's all people are talking about. And you want to believe that you can just get rich really quick and it's, not how it works well it's not how it works for us <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's, I'm, it's I'm not, extremely I'm not unfortunate the, exec- the but, highest um, person up on the wall street ladder i've talked to is zach <laughs> <laughs> so like you know <laughs> we're all just out here grinding <laughs> but yes please please be smart about this don't don't be an idiot i mean you're hearing me tell you don't be an idiot about something you should take that to heart paul's telling you not to be an idiot that's my advice for the week i'm not doing fortune cookies this week um i didn't order chinese food (laughs) no i didn't order chinese food because i'm trying to watch my diet chuck so you're back to health tips uh no this is mental health tips uh be careful out there don't be an idiot don't be don't be an <laughs> put that on a poster uh, crochet it the, the office is like i think about what michael would do and then i think to myself would an idiot do that and yes. if an idiot would do that i don't do that thing <laughs> um well i i think we should let people go before they get too bored of our side conversations about the stock market and... no stay a while okay it's go. topical <laughs> <laughs> yes no it's it's for sure topical well uh next episode i guess we will probably do our our worst union lineups we were oh yeah Dis- the disappointment 11 the disappointment Woo-hoo! 11 is coming in our next episode uh it, it was we we thought we were going to sneak one in before zach's episode but we didn't because you know evan was off interviewing brendan burke so um if you you know follow evan you'll probably find that interview somewhere else um not here we're not promoting his podcast not we're on the, views from the bridge. not on views of the bridge <laughs> but somewhere else you might find brendan burke and evan Villella rehashing union two or <laughs> yes they have a lot to they have a lot whatever to they're about. gonna rehash so uh yeah keep keep up on our, our our social media we'll be back next week with a with another episode probably and uh have a great night thanks for listening to season three of use in the bridge you can find us all over the internet facebook instagram and twitter at vftb pod thanks to our sponsors roughneck scars official scarf supplier of mls usl and us soccer get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com We are also sponsored by Robbie over at Icarus FC. Icarus will make the custom kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Get started at IcarusFC.com. Do you enjoy the show and want to support us? There are two ways. 
You can head to Design Tree at dsgntree.com slash VFTV for our latest merch, or you can just buy us a coffee or beer at Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash VFTVpod. Thanks for your listening and your support. Views from the Bridge is a podcast of the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm. Head over there to find all kinds of soccer writing, podcasts, and other content. For Evan Villela, Chuck Booth, and Paul Katrina, I'm Justin Ashcraft, signing off.